Today, however, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 4. Ha'igeret shel Shaul al-Haromim, the epistle of Shaul or Saul, Paul, to the Romans chapter 4. And Rav Shaul is bringing up someone who has obviously already been in his thinking. He's already had this in his mind, who Avraham is and what his relevance is. And our topic this morning as we look at it is we see that and we will see that Avraham is in reality, in a way, the father of all of us. All of us can claim Avraham. Now, some of us can claim him as our physical ancestor. We know that we are descended from him. But nevertheless, all of us have this connection to Avraham because he is the one who forged a way for us and gave us an example. And God holds him up as an example for us. And so we look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. And Rav Shaul is actually con- continuing his argument, his discussion, that he's already begun to open up about the relationship between what we do and what we believe. And it's a really important one. I mean, as I've said before, many scholars used to say that Christianity is a religion of faith and Judaism is a religion of works. And then they've realized more and more that that is a false distinction. But nevertheless, Rav Shaul is actually showing us what the relationship is between what we do and what we believe. And it's really important for us because as believers, we know that we not only want to give this intellectual assent as to who Yeshua the Messiah is, as to who God is. We not only want to be in agreement with what the scripture says intellectually, but we want God, we want the spirit, we want the scriptures to affect our lives. We want to be changed by God. We want to be people who are different because of what we believe and because of what we know about God and because of our relationship to him. This is the transforming power of the good news of Messiah that Rav Shaul is sharing with us today. And so Romans chapter 4 and verse 1, Rav Shaul says, What then shall we say that Avraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Avraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Avraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for as righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed 
are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And so we're going to look at the relationship, as Rav Shaul puts it in these verses, between blessing, between the mitzvot, the commandments that we obey, the good deeds that we are, as the Brit Chadashah tells us, created for. We are created for good deeds. We are going to look at the relationship between that and righteousness. Because actually there is a difference. And there are, as we know, many good people in this world who devote their lives to doing good, who raise wonderful families, who we would like to know and have as friends. But they need righteousness if they do not know the righteous God. And Rav Shaul is talking about the relationship between good deeds, good behavior, and acts, and righteousness. So, of course, as any Jewish person would do, he turns to Avraham. Avraham Avinu, Avraham our father. And Avraham is someone who stands in a position where we look up and we say, he is the beginning of something. We talk throughout scripture about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham is there in the first. He's not the first person to ever know God. He's not the first person to ever understand and talk to God. In fact, scholars tell us that when Avraham was born, Noah was still alive. So he's not the only one. But he stands there as the beginning of God beginning to do something in our world. And as God begins to do something in our world, it's not that he forgets all the rest of the nations. It's not that he is only focused on Abraham. But Abraham is the one whom he chooses. And Abraham is the one where the story really begins for us. And so Rav Shaul is writing to not only Jews here, but he's writing to Gentiles, people from all nations. And he is saying to this very multinational city of Rome that no doubt has Africans and Europeans and, and Easterners and everyone from around the Roman Empire. Some of them are going to be in Rome, a little bit like Vancouver, but not quite the same composition. He's writing to these people from wherever they might be. And he is saying, Avraham is where it begins. Avraham, our father. When he says our father, now obviously he's speaking as a Jew, but he's going to widen this picture. He's going to explain it a little further. What do we say that Avraham, our father, has found according to the flesh in terms of regular human life as a, as a person? Um, the flesh here is not a technical term particularly. Avraham is here walking or was here walking on the earth living just like us. And as someone who lived on this earth just like us, what did he discover? What was it that was special that made him different? 
And we find the answer actually quite early on. So if you turn with me just briefly to Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 15 and verse 6. We have that amazing statement about Avraham. And interestingly, this statement is not after Avraham has done that most amazing step of faith in his life. It's not after the point when he has taken Isaac and gone up to the mountain and in this incredible step of faith offered up Isaac. That will come and that will amplify the story. But in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, God has given him a promise. And Avraham has just gone out and he's seen the stars of the sky. And God has said, as many as there are stars in the sky, so will your descendants be. They now say there are billions of billions of stars out in the sky. I don't know how we'd all fit on the face of this earth. But I think you know what God is telling Abraham. There he looks out. He cannot count them. Some are close, some are faint, some are near and bright. And he sees these stars on a night that is unlike the type of night we normally have in Vancouver. Um, You can see everything. It's crystal clear. There are no city lights obscuring it. And as he looks and sees the stars in the sky, These are going to be your descendants. And we read in 15 and verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. It's not that Abraham did anything amazing at this point. It's not that there was any great feat or test before him. Although Hebrews, and we'll turn there in a minute, points that out. As, as a point of faith for Avraham. Nevertheless, all he has done is he's heard the voice of God and he's had the open heart to accept it and say, I believe that. Now, you know, honestly, I would probably say, well, I hope I'm not fooling myself. I hope this is real. And I might have all kinds of caveats in my thinking, um, in my head. But the impression you get here is the scripture is telling us Avraham simply believed. He had an exemplary faith. It's the same kind of faith that Yeshua talks about with children, saying, you need to be like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just believe. Just accept it. We don't need to have our critical thinking. I I know one young man who's very... Uh, he attempts to be incredibly logical in everything he says. And he's, he's trying to examine everything to determine what is true and what isn't. And, and really, it's, it's simply belief that God asks for, for from Avraham. And God accounts it to him for righteousness. This Avraham, from God's perspective, he believes me. And he's mine. He's, he's righteous in my eyes. That's all that God asked for from Avraham. He didn't know about Yeshua. He didn't know about the plan of salvation as it would later be explained. All he had was faith. And that is such an important thing for us. 
just to believe, not to struggle, not to worry about the details. Of course, we are human, we will have doubts, but just to believe and leave it up to God. And so it's, it becomes something that we see later on in the book of Hebrews when, when the writer of Hebrews, and we still don't know who it is, uh, uh, Dr. Dressler at Northwest Baptist Theological College in 1980, uh, gosh, that would have been 1983, on Southwest Marine, argued that uh, it must be a woman who wrote Hebrews chapter 11. There's no reason why it couldn't be, but uh, nevertheless, there's no indication that it was particularly. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19, Avraham is mentioned by the writer who says, actually starting in verse 17, by faith, Avraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he had received the promises. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. And here, Avraham's faith, that was so pure, carried him through this point. Now his works become evident because he had that faith years before when God said you're going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. Because he had that faith, later on when God asks him to do something, that faith is there. And God continues to accept him. Avraham the one who has righteousness from faith. His works follow chronologically and logically from his faith. So Yaakov also, in the book of James, talks about the faith of Avraham. And it's an important uh, scripture because Yaakov is writing specifically for Jewish believers. So he has a different way of expressing things. But in Yaakov or James chapter 2 and verse 23, he says, The scriptures were fulfilled, which say, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, he says, and not by faith only. Following on from the book of Hebrews, that shows that his works actually were a demonstration of the faith that was already there. And so we have Avraham, our father, pointed out and brought before us before in, in Romans chapter 4. And Rav Shaul says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 2, if Avraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. And wouldn't we all, if, if we could really impress God by our good works, we would have something to boast about. Wouldn't that be fantastic if we had it within ourselves to be so good, 
so devoted, so consistent, without a slip-up, following God. That would be impressive. And we would be maybe right to take some pleasure in the fact that we were able to be so perfect that God could look at us and say, yeah, that person is righteous because he's done everything or she has done everything completely right and done the right thing. But I don't think, to be honest, that's even what God really wants. I don't think he even wants us to be absolutely perfect on this side of heaven. Otherwise, he would have given us the ability to be absolutely perfect. And I know there are some people who believe that you come to a certain point in your walk, in your faith in Messiah, when God will intervene miraculously in your life, and then from then on you will never again transgress God's commandments, sin, whatever you want to call it. There are people who really believe that. But I don't think that's what really gets God. What really touches his heart as a father with a child is that faith, that love, that relationship. That's what he is really after. God's got the big picture. A thousand years are as a day. He's seen it all. He's seen every type of deviancy and horrible act and word that a human being can do. He's seen it all. There is nothing new under the sun. He is not shocked by our behavior, but he knows that the day will come when we will be released from the chains of our our flesh and when we will be transformed and when we will be brought into a new place with him when we will be prepared for a new heavens and a new earth, and we will will be freed from the burden of, of our own failures, our own propensity to fail God. That day is coming. God just wants our hearts right now. He, of course, wants us to live for him. And this is Abraham's own example. His love for God was demonstrated in how he lived for God. But the scripture makes no pretense with Avraham, with Isaac, or with Yaakov, or with any other person in scripture, that they are perfect. There is no, I, there is no hint that anyone is absolutely without sin except Yeshua HaMashiach. There's no desire to lionize people and say that they, they put them on a pedestal. Even King David, we, Melech David, man after God's own heart, we look at him and he really did fail at various points in his life. And we look at that and we go, wow, but God loved him. He loved God. And here is Avraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And there are many people who say, no, no, my works are so important. And of course, our works will follow our faith. But it's the faith that brings the righteousness. And this is what Rav Shaul is trying to bring. Now, years ago, to change tone a little bit, um, I think uniformly across the Christian world, um, the 
Book of Romans was looked at very clearly in a law versus grace type of way. Um, this came out of the Reformation, out of a reaction against Catholicism with Martin Luther and John Calvin and others. And they were the prophets of their day, no doubt. Neither of them perfect either, by the way. And, um, and, and that shaped the way people thought. But a number of years ago, uh, a, a Jewish scholar of the New Testament called Sanders, wrote a book called Paul and Palestinian Judaism. And, uh, and he argued from uh, ancient biblical texts that actually um, the, the Jewish people do not believe in works as a way of salvation. And since then, his... Um, his Thinking has been very much critiqued and people have moved on from there and yet what he did was a landmark study. It resulted in what scholars called the new perspective on Paul, which if you talk to the scholars nowadays, and it's typically Jewish scholars who are studying the New Testament, they say that's old. So the new perspective on Paul that came out just 15 years ago is now kind of old. But nevertheless, uh, things have moved on, but people came, became familiar with this idea of covenant gnomism, which is what Sanders said. And the idea is the Jewish people are in a covenant with God, and it is because we are in a covenant with God that we keep the nomos. That's where the gnomism comes from. Gnomism comes from nomos, which is law. The covenant implies the law, and so his argument was, for Jewish people, we keep the Torah because we are Jews, not to gain salvation, but because we are Jews. It was an interesting uh, light bulb moment for New Testament scholars and believers and and non-believing scholars alike have have, um, gone on to really think that through. But again, it's not the namas that is actually the most important thing. It's not the law. It is our love for God. And this is why Avraham is used. This is the story of Avraham. And we'll we'll revisit that point in just a few minutes. But here, Rav Shaul says in 4 and 4, Romans 4 verse 4, Now to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So if it really was that we need to work and get it right in our behavior, in everything we do and say and think, if we were to get, if that is really what mattered, then our salvation would be something God owes us. Then I could go up to God and say, God, I have been very good. I want my salvation now. And, uh, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates kind of thing. And uh, let me in because I've been so good. And what would be wonderful about that? Where would there be any room for grace? Where would there be any room for love? Which is so central to who God is. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we even want to try to earn, righteousness by our own deeds. We want to 
be able to go to God and, and say, loving Heavenly Father, I love you. And he wants to bestow his love. He wants to bestow his grace upon us. Not because we have been good. Of course it's good if, I mean, Rav Shaul will say later in Romans 6, you know, what shall we say then? Shall, uh, sit, shall we sin so that grace may abound? You know, it's not, so, it's not that we should be intentionally sinning. But God wants to just bestow his love on us. And he looks at us and he says, my child. And that's so central to the good news. We are in a world where, you know, um, especially people on the left side of the political ex- spectrum will, will be very sensitive to the whole idea of exploitation. Employees, or rather employers, exploiting their employees. You work for me and then I'll give you some money. And uh, maybe a little less sensitive to, that, to the fact that for some, in many cases it's the employee exploiting the employer. Look, I did my eight hours. I deserve my paycheck. I mean, it's, it's a reciprocal relationship. But this isn't the kind of relationship we have with God. It's not an exploitative relationship. It's a relationship where God gives us, like he did with the workers in the vineyard, the blessing of salvation, regardless of the works, it's our faith that matters. Remember the story of the workers in the vineyard. Some worked there all day. You can see it nowadays. You can go to the hardware store. In some places, there will be workmen standing outside, and they are hoping for an ad hoc job. And so it was in biblical times. Workers stood around. Someone would come by pick them up and say, come to my field and work. And the ones who came at the end of the day and just did an hour work got the same pay in this story as those who had worked the whole day through the heat of the day. And uh, and God, or the landholder in this parable, graciously gave each of them a full day's pay. That's grace. That is God. That's the way God deals with us. He's the one who says, I love you no matter what. And so this is what brings us to verses 6 to 8. And I love this quotation of Rav Shaul. Actually, let's read from verse 5 again. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And he quotes from the Psalms. This is God who loves the ungodly. This is, as we see in Romans 5, the one who sent his son to die for the ungodly. Which means that we are the ungodly that he died for. It's quite a thought. We are the ungodly. And yet he died for us. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. The quotation is from Psalm chapter 32. You can turn there if you'd like. Um, There's a beautiful word for blessed. Blessed. 
that um, is used in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. It's the very first word of the Psalms, which means that it's very important. (laughs) Asherah. Um, Asherah. Happy, blessed, uh, well-favored. It's, it's not just simply blessed, because the Hebrew word for blessed is barach, he blessed. That's a bet, a resh, and a chet. Barach, he blessed. But this is ashrei. It's, it's a type of blessedness, but it's, it's a blessed happiness. And so English translations struggle with this because... You know, the semantic range of different words in different languages are different and they overlap in different ways. So they just stuck with blessed in most translations. Some of them will say happy. But uh, chapter Psalm 32 and verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Ashrei nesui pesha. Pesui, also another great Hebrew word, you know, um, who's removed, and, and uh, the, the, rather, Nesui is the, the, uh, the taken away. It's, it's, um, it's from the Hebrew verb nasa, he lifted up, he took up. So, blessed is the person whose sins are just removed, taken away. The one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed we are. We have the synagogue song, uh, you know, from uh, from the prayers, Ashrei Yoshvei Betecha, Odi Halleluja Selah. We used to sing it in London. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. (laughs) It's a blessing. It's also a joy to be in the house of the Lord. They will praise you. What a blessing. Asherah, we are blessed. And this is the kind of happiness that Rav Shaul is saying belongs to us. We have been objectively blessed because God has forgiven us. But also out of that comes Joy and happiness, maybe relief, because we have been forgiven. And that load of guilt, that load of shame that can weigh us down has been taken away. So Deborah and I dropped by a booth uh, yesterday, and um, it was a booth at Missions Fest run by the sons of Alan Gilman. Alan has spoken here in the past and uh, I think was an inspiration behind the founding of the Kahila and worked uh, with my father for a number of years before he went with the support very much of Zion Messianic Fellowship to serve in Montreal, seeking to reach Jewish people with the good news there and still lives back east and uh, I think you may well know of his family with I don't know how many children uh, eight, ten, something like that, and uh, ten, my wife says, um, and just a wonderful family. So two of them have a booth at Missions Fest, 
and it is a booth designed to reach out to young people who are fighting against pornography. And here we are in a world today where pornography is pervasive, like Josh was saying to us, it's on your smartphone, it could be anywhere, people can get it anywhere, and it's a lot like being able to uh, mainline heroin wherever you are at a moment's notice, and, and people are addicted to it, just like a drug. It's a, a terrible thing that affects the psyche of young men and women today and affects their relationships and those who are older as well. It is an affliction on our society because it's so easy to get and so pervasive. And um, it brought to, to mind the importance of forgiveness, the importance of grace in breaking the addictive cycle. Because people sin, they fall, they, they um, take part in this, the images, in a sense taking part in the whole industry with its abuse and everything else that's involved in it. And they are damaged and they feel it in themselves and they need to know God's grace because it is by God's grace that we are relieved from the shame The shame that is so much part of what we call the addictive cycle that brings people down, that that crushes their souls and leaves them as broken people inside. And you can't see it outside, but inside they're hurting. That's our society today. And God is there with his grace and he's saying, I want your faith. I want your love. And there is forgiveness And there is his love and his hands extended to everyone, breaking that cycle. There are many other factors that go into breaking the cycle of addiction. And there are many other areas that need addressing in the heart of those who have been affected. And those who have been affected maybe indirectly because the behavior of those who who are in addiction no matter what the addiction, affects those who are around them. Nevertheless, um, shame is an important part of it. And God gives us a way to be freed from the shame. God says, it's not your works. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. God has seen it before. He's not shocked. He reaches out his hands. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That could be a sermon in itself, but we have a little bit more time. (laughs) We're going to continue in verse 9, because verses 9 to 12 show us the halacha of Abraham, Abraham's halacha. Halacha, for our third Hebrew word today, comes from the word halach, to walk. Halakha in Jewish thinking today means law. It means rules and ordinances. It means the exact decisions of the, of the rabbis and the dayanim, the judges of both ages past and today, all added together. Right? I think in Catholicism that would be called canon law, um, and uh, it's the same kind of thing. 
It is all of those judgments. How did Abraham walk? But we see in these verses, 9 to 12, how Abraham walked. What did this do in his life? Does this blessing then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believed, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who walk, this is our halacha, who walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Avraham had while still uncircumcised. So there he is, held up for us as an example. And Avraham is a great example. And we're going over this again. If you turn to Genesis 25 and 1, you don't need to turn there unless you'd like to. I'm going to just quickly read, read um, the first verse. We see who Avraham is. He is not just the father of the Jewish people. In fact, we read that after he took uh, Sarah as his wife and after she passed away, Avraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And then Yokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, and Hanoch, Abida, and Elda'ah. These were all the children of Keturah. And so we realize now Avraham had Sarah and Hagar, her handmaid, as a concubine. And now he had Keturah as a wife. And then we read um, that uh, Abraham had other wives as well. Um, Now, I read it a few minutes ago. Nevertheless, he had uh, many children, and he had concubines as well as Keturah. Abraham is not just the father of the Jewish people. Abraham is the father of many. In fact, um, in Islam, there's the claim that the Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael. I think historically, um, Ziggy Rogoff, a a, uh, PhD mathematician in London, uh, pointed this out to me and said, check it out for yourself, so I did. Uh, Historically, there is no evidence really that the Arabs are descended directly from Ishmael. There may be some connection, but there's no real, um, no real connection there. But nevertheless, that's the Islamic idea. But Abraham is the father of many different people. And he walked in faith before there was any Israel. He walked in faith before he had his son Isaac, And he walked in faith before Yaakov was ever born. Yaakov, who is actually the father of Israel and to whom was given the name Israel years later. Avraham walked in faith. That means 
that Abraham was really one of the Gentiles. He's just one of us in terms of humanity. He's one of all of us. And we all have a claim on him, not necessarily to be physical descendants of him, but we all have a claim on Abraham. He's one of all of us. I see that symbolism in Yeshua, who was crucified outside the city gates, not inside the city, which was the city Ir HaKodesh of Israel, but outside, where his relevance was for all the world. And here is Avraham, in a sense, one of all of us. But not only was he walking in faith while still one of the nations, but he walked in faith before the Torah was given. He never had the Torah. It was never given to him. He didn't know the laws of Moses. We don't even know if he kept Shabbat. And Kashrut. He was just one of us, one of humanity. And he certainly wasn't circumcised. And this is part of what Rav Shaul is really pointing out now. And he repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. He really wants to nail this one down, which gives you an impression maybe he had heard something about what the people in Rome were talking about, circumcised versus uncircumcised. So he's making a point. Abraham was not circumcised. Therefore, believers in Messiah today do not need to be circumcised. That's not a requirement of God upon male believers in Messiah. So was Um, Abraham accounted as righteous while circumcised? No, but while uncircumcised. And he received the circumcision, the sign of circumcision, while he was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believed, that righteousness, verse 11 at the end, might be imputed to them only. It doesn't matter our peoplehood. Righteousness belongs to all who believe in faith. And as a result, all those who believe in faith can look up at Abraham and say, I'm like him. I kind of belong to Abraham, Avraham Avinu, or Av Kulanu, the father of all of us, in a sense. And so Avraham walked this way before he was ever a circumcised man. And we see this in the final verse, 12. Those who walk in the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Walking with God is so important. It's not something that's instantaneous. It's not a flash in the pan. It's something that involves going uphill and downhill. Um, those of us who like old Puritan literature would all, and many of us, um, others as well, like the famous uh, parable by uh, Paul Bunyan, I think is the name, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and, uh, and there, or John, John Bunyan. <laughs> Thank you. We're in Canada, so I'm thinking Paul Bunyan. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, um, 
John Bunyan writes about that, that, that walk. It's that walk with God, where God walks with us through thick and verse thin, and through thin. In 1 Kings chapter 3, in verse 14, we have um, King Solomon, who is being blessed by God. And he is, he is told, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. That is the promise to King Solomon, Shlomo. If you walk in my ways as your father David walked, as Abraham walked, walking with the Lord. In the New Testament, in the Brit Hadashah, the early believers were known as Haderech, the way. They are the ones who have the way. Why would anyone call them the way or the path? Because they are those who walk on the path. The new believers in the book of Acts were saying to the Jewish community of Jerusalem and beyond, this is the way to walk. This is the appropriate halakha. This is what God wants from us. Belief in him, belief in his son, as, as was preached in the early chapters. There is a way for us. This is the way that Avraham walked. And so in conclusion, you know, when I grew up years ago, people used to say, and I have no idea where it came from, walk like an Egyptian. Um, and people would try to walk like an Egyptian. But we want to walk like Avraham. We want to be like him. Not to be Avraham, not to, you know, live in the desert like him or anything like that. But in this respect, simply to know his faith, simply his love for God, believing God, Entrusting himself to God to the point that he would even take his son and lay him on an altar, ultimately. But he didn't know that most of the time, that it would, would ever come to that. But just to be like Avraham, to walk like Avraham, that is what Rav Shaul is asking us to do. What he says, shall we say that Avraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? And he found that it was his faith. That was what caused him to be declared righteous. What a wonderful message we have for our Jewish community and for our world. Because our world is under a heavy burden. Even though people are not believers in Messiah in the main, and very few Jewish people could even conceive of the idea that Yeshua could be the Messiah There is that burden of shame, there is the pain, there is the sense that I am not what I should be in the heart of almost everyone out there. There is a need to know that there is a way to simply put your trust in God, to believe in him, which I think involves, of course, believing in his son whom he has sent and acknowledging him as our Messiah and Lord, because he has been revealed to us now. And then be able to experience and know that God has declared us righteous. Not on the basis of our deeds, which hopefully will follow, but surely will not follow 
perfectly the way we would like. But simply, uh, because of our faith to be declared righteous, what a joy and a blessing that is for us, and what a blessing we have to share that with other people. You can be relieved from that burden on your soul, a burden on your heart that is so dragging you down, because God is the God who is simply looking for our faith. Avinu Sheva Shamayim, we thank you for Messiah Yeshua who came and revealed himself to us and didn't come with a massive list of demands, but simply revealed himself to us as the one, the expression of, of God, the living God who declared his, your glory to us and through his death showed us that simply by faith in you and faith in him and the atoning power of what he has done on the cross, that we might be redeemed, that we might be forgiven for those, from those sins, from our unrighteousness and ungodliness, and so drags us down and be declared, as Abraham was, the friends of God. We thank you, Lord, for your friendship. Amen.